Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this particular podcast episode is different in other ways. We are recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means we are not in the same room and we are using Zoom. So our audio quality might be a little bit different than what you're used to hearing, um, but we are doing the best we can with what we have. I'm also currently in my parents' house in Texas. So if you hear a house phone ring, a landline, just ignore it. so excited about our guest today. Born and raised in Tejerangeles, California, Aria Marvazi earned his BA in psychology at UC San Diego and a master's in organizational behavior from NYU. Currently 12 years into his nonprofit career, Aria began a lifelong dream of LGBTQ plus activism with JQ, where he currently serves as the managing director. In 2017, Aria launched the JQ Persian Pride Fellowship an interfaith LGBTQ plus and ally initiative training, the, the training the next generation of leaders. His dedication to the Jewish and LGBTQ plus communities earned him a spot on the Jewish Journal's 30 under 30 list, Iran Wire's 50 Iranian Americans You Should Know, and most recently the 2019 JPRO Young Professional Award. Aria, welcome. That, thank you so much for having me here, Doves. It's awesome. And also, I realize that that bio sounds so fancy and professional, and I wish I just spoke about passions <laughs> instead. Um, yeah, of course. Well, we can we will dive into your passions, but it's um, such a I, I've known you for a few years through my work at Keshet and our partnership, Keshet and JQ. And, and, and you actually were a storyteller when Thank You for Coming Out came to Los Angeles. That was so much fun. I loved actually having them just make a funny, hilarious mockery out of that like really awkward coming out story. <laughs> I wish I had that on film. Like that would have been great to watch over again. Mm, I know there are so many times when storytellers and improvisers are like, is that being recorded? And I just, for whatever reason, I don't record them and I should, and it's yeah. not, I don't know, but yeah, it's always really, it's really, I love when storytellers enjoy the improv that comes from their stories. Uh, yeah. It helps reimagine, it makes them silly, and sometimes moments that aren't so silly. Um, totally, totally, loved it. Yeah, so um, before we kind of jump in, um, I wanted to see if you'd like to share the item that reminds you of Pride. Oh, yes, okay, so I don't know if like podcasters are not gonna see the visual, but if you can envision like a long gold snake sort of choker necklace thing. It like clicks and it sits on my neck. I bought this actually just earlier this year, um, just before New Year's. I was with some friends in, outside of San Francisco um, with a group of radical fairies of which I am not one, but like have close friends in that community. And there's such a conversation just around like gender and, and gender non-conforming clothing or accessories or anything like that, especially in my Iranian culture that I saw this at like a secondhand store and it was broken in half on a counter. And I was like, I need to have that thing. So I bought it broken in half, took it across the street to some like hardware store and the guy put it right back together for me. And then I just wore it on my neck all weekend. Her name is Sasha, um, which is from Beyonce's Sasha Fierce alter ego because I am a Beehive fan. And mm. it just brings me so much joy. And like, I've never worn this around my family or like in, in my own community, but certainly wear it around my queer friends and love it so much. So it's definitely a sweet moment of pride for me to have it on. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And I love that it just like went, put, got put back together so easily. That's so nice. It was amazing. I, and funny enough, by the way, this morning, as I came to put it on, um, the tail of it broke off. So oh, no. I like have to get it re-put back on again um but 
that's like the full length of Sasha's. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love, I also love that you named, named this beautiful piece of jewelry. Do you name other necessary. inanimate objects that you own? <laughs> um, it's funny. I feel like I do. I can't think of them now, but yeah, Sasha's snake felt very appropriate for like this fierce little serpent. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a uh, like that. I love it. I love that. I have a friend who has a Honda and it's a gold. And so she named her car Goldie Honda and it's just the best. That's also <laughs> a really great drag name, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh my God. I never even thought fantastic. about that. <laughs> um, so the item I brought, I'm actually also wearing, it's my tie dye headband. Um, yes. I, I never really like thought deeply about it before, but I did recently and I never wore headbands before kind of coming out as trans and coming into my own as trans because it was another one of those things for me that I didn't feel like I was rocking it in the way that I wanted it to look and so it just like was just like I just can't yeah. I can't even do this and so um I decided to try it again a few months ago or maybe even just a few weeks ago and I like love the way it looks on my head and when <laughs> I look in the mirror or when I look in like whatever it is it's like this like sensation of like I actually see myself when I look in the mirror and it is there is no oh. I can't think of anything more prideful than seeing your own reflection oh. in the mirror that is so, so beautiful I'm thanks. gonna like remember that story and bring it up every time I'm feeling down what a moment of just like yes self and pride I love that oh thank you well good thing with this is recorded so you can you can keep it with you forever <laughs> this one we can watch <laughs> right love it. um so we all have multiple coming out stories. And so I would love to invite you to share one of yours. Totally. So um, I'm going to go over a large expanse of time in a very brief story. But okay. the nutshell is I grew up in Los Angeles um, to a very loud and proud Persian Jewish family. And, you know, family is everything to us. And also just as an Iranian community, we are a collectivist society where every individual family member's behaviors reflect on the family as a whole. And I mean in an extended way, like what I might do in my life could actually affect my cousin's capacity to get married because of our family reputation, you know, always being embedded in every single one of us. So we grow up with this sense of a commitment to the family and a commitment to the family's reputation and to recognize that I was gay around 12 years old was meaning that I had the terminology at that point. I think I felt some things well before that. Um, it was just this like shock to the system. Not least of reasons was I didn't see any queer people whatsoever in my mix, let alone queer people that were like still deeply embedded in family and community. And you know, the, the, the person that I always wished to find, which was what I had dreamt of, of like, this guy is going to show up one day. He'll be gay. He'll be Persian. I'll recognize it like my future is possible and things will get at least incrementally better. And it never happened. Not at 16, 18, 20, 25, like just left without um, role models. And the evening um, that sort of changed my life and changed my world was a night that Ryan Darvish, he was in the same fraternity as me, A.E. Pi. It's the Jewish fraternity. We definitely call it the gentleman's fraternity um, because we, we had some, I guess, fraternity-like characteristics, but it really was a sweet and authentic brotherhood and people took care of each other in a way that I think sometimes frat life might not. Um, and there was a brother, his name was Ryan Darvish. He was another Persian Jew from LA and him and I would like hang out all the time. We'd go and get tea and walk around the cove or play backgammon, just, you know, sort of catch up on life. And one evening, we went to a cafe and we talked and we talked and we talked. And even as we spoke that evening, I feel like he spoke about the future without gender pronouns when he said like partner. And mm -hmm. I, as you know, as fine tuned as we listen to people's vocabulary, I was like, is he trying to tell me something? Right. Mm -hmm. um, the evening wrapped at the cafe, we got back to my place and I don't know if I said it or he said it, but one of us was like, I'm not tired. Do you want to keep walking? And we did, there was like a railroad track behind our house. Eventually we got to some damp grass and Ryan was like, sit down, let's keep chatting. And essentially he began to come out to me. And what's really interesting about him coming out to me is that 
I don't remember the words that came out of his mouth. Like I just, now I'm remembering dubs that actually when we did the coming out story in LA for like, thank you for coming out. This, mm -hmm. this was like exactly it. But I don't remember what he said. What I know is that he began the process of coming out to me. So I just went internally in this really fast debate of he's going to be done talking soon and you have to make the decision of like me too or wow thank you for sharing right mm -hmm. yeah and and i don't know in that moment it was the first time i had seen myself mirrored in someone else and it was exactly what i needed in terms of the affirmation that it's possible other people get it with all the layers of cultural and religious nuance like so i came back out to ryan and we hugged and there were tears and it was just, you know, in so many ways, like one of the unveilings of like my true self um, and just the beginning stages of that at 22. But um, I named that because so often I think about when someone is struggling in the closet and I sure as hell heard this even in the many years after coming out to Ryan because my coming out process was so piecemeal over seven years. Um, people say sort of like, come out, you can do it. Your family's going to love you anyway. Trust me, like they love you. And you're like, okay, listen, like friend from a completely different background, from a completely different part of the country or the world, like, thank you for your confidence. And like, I don't think you get the nuances of my cultural and religious and, you know, just communal life. So it's hard to ever suggest it's going to be okay. Cause we just don't know that. Um, with Ryan, it really did, thankfully, like launch me into the next stages of myself and eventually my activism. So I really applaud him so much for being such an amazing role model for me. Wow, that is such a st special story. Um, do you, are you still in touch with Ryan? Totally, he is in Ohio and um, becoming a doctor and like doing all the great things. I think he's becoming an OBGYN and it's just yeah of course every time he comes to LA we get like a drink or well now we're not doing anything but I definitely stay in touch with him and he knows because every chance I get to say like if you can be that person to help another you know just by sharing of yourself and that yeah. is Sam's expectation that someone might share back you know certainly that night he said I came out to you because I thought maybe you might come out to me right mm. um but we never want to be that person who's like coming out because we want someone else to, but rather to create the space that if someone else wanted to on their own, um, we've created a container to hold them, you know? Yeah, for sure. When you um, were building your friendship with Ryan, did you have any kind of sense of like, maybe he was like you and that's what dropped, like drew you to him or was it, was it really not that at all? And this kind of came to you as a shock. It was a little bit of the former versus the latter. Like mm -hmm. I had a sense. And then there were, it's interesting because my brother said the same thing about me and how he thought about me. Like sometimes I thought, and then I completely let the thought go or like, you know, something would happen. And then I was pretty confident that can't be true. And I felt like that was kind of it with Ryan. Like I didn't have a firm sense that he's also anything. And, and especially today, by the way, in terms of how that firm sense of anyone's sense of identity is such a like wrong thought process even it's like of course you don't because you're not them and that person is evolving permanently so like I even don't like when someone says and I've said this to friends um when I came out to them and their first response was immediately like you know I always knew and I wanted mm -hmm. to hold it for you and I'm like no you didn't like yeah. you didn't always know because it wasn't true until I told you and like you don't get to know before I knew yet let alone like shared with you Mm -hmm. um, not to be possessive of my own queerness, but also to say, like, you don't want to tell someone, like, oh, I always knew about who you are well before you could even say it yourself. It feels a little bit diminishing to, like, our story. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of with Ryan, like, here and there, but never just, like, full concrete confidence. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I came out to my sister, her first reaction was, oh, honey, I know. And it was, like, you know... I know she was trying to, like you're saying, like trying to be supportive, right, but it was like right. not, it just in, in all of the best intentions, of course. But I was like, but I've been trying to hide this exactly. forever. So if you know, who else knows? And it just was really, it was scary. So and real. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I like the, what you said about 
you know, sharing who you are, not to, you know, nudge someone to come out, but instead to create the container for folks to know that it's okay to share who they are. Um, that's, I like yeah. that framing a lot. I'm sitting with that a lot lately because people who, you know, call the JQ helpline or just interact with me as an activist so often have that question of, I think my insert familial relationship may be LGBTQ identifying. What do I do? How do I go about, you know, like all the sort of like, well, give me concrete steps to create like a red carpet for them to, to come out on their experience. And yeah. my suggestions always border on you act as an inclusive, loving, open, accepting soul so much as you can and make that clearly a part of how you speak, what you share in social media, how you behave in the world. And let that be the invitation to an individual to see you as you are and feel safe enough rather than like, what do I go to say to them? That then becomes like my stepping into your territory and your decision-making about how you express of yourself. It's a tough line because I know these people most, I think, with the right intentions, love us and mm -hmm. want to do the right thing by us, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have similar conversations in the work I do with Keshet of you know, trying to balance the explanation behind there is no checklist. Right. And it's more abstract than that. And here, like here, here are like the steps or the ways of thinking. And I think that a lot of people with the best of intentions really do want that checklist because they just want to be able to say, okay, I did this, I did this. And now I'm, yeah. now I'm the person. It's like, it's just not, it's not how it works. And right. it's tough to try to communicate that to people. Um, uh, so something that, that uh, another thing that stuck out to me um, during your story is that you so like, uh, like you picked up on the, of Ryan speaking about future without gender pronouns. And you like mm -hmm. the thought that went through your head is like, is he trying to tell me something? And I, I remember for me being so attuned to everyone's language and was really always right. trying to pick up on any kind of omission or whatever it was to be like, are you, are you like me? Am I like you? And so it just, <laughs> exactly. it's like, it's oh wild. Uh, yeah. Were there other, were there other kinds of, not, I don't know if signs, but ways that you could, that you found other people like through this similar kind of communication oh, or other examples? Question. Yeah. Wow. What a great question. The, the funny part is, is that upon coming out to Ryan and beginning that very piecemeal slow process of like and now my coworker at Hillel at the time and now my best friend what a very interesting reaction and then like this person and that person and like going along the path of um let me come out to the people that i more or less have a firm sense care about lgbtq equality and like you know prop eight had prop eight in california you know pro or against gay marriage happened before i came out so I got to hear a lot of people's truth out on like, you know, so what you're asking kind of came up for me at Shabbat dinners where like mm. an uncle would say something about like, of course, we're not going to let Prop 8 pass. Like we're not going to allow gay marriage in California. They want to teach gay marriage in schools and they're going to brainwash our kids. And of course, I'm sitting over there on the side like, okay, well, you won't be safe. When mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so there was more examples of individuals speaking outright about their homophobia or bigotry than there was you know with that was familial I guess and then with my peer group with friends like you did hear the ones that just were so loving of or already had queer friends or queer family and spoke lovingly about them so that to me was like a full-on immediate green light that clearly you have you know relationships with the queer community and consider them to be as close to you as any other friend or family member and that always felt really good and affirming and safe, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I did the exact same thing. I was always paying attention to like what people were saying and how they reacted to certain other people in the community if they were, if they held a queer identity. And I, and I, and I think that um, lots of family members of mine have come a long way, but, and, and, but said some really scary things to a kiddo who's like, am I that? And then now you're saying, you're saying these things that are so not affirming and it's like, how am I ever going to tell you who I am? And it's really hard and scary. 
It is. It's it's interesting too now, and you named it, and I appreciate it that you said you know the fans, many of them have come a very long way. That similarly, when I think about some of the full on homophobia that I faced when in the closet, that I have gotten um, received, I don't know, sort of accepted even some very deep and serious apologies about mm. about like lack of awareness and even ignorance on the subject, and also like. I have to name, it's it's interesting because if I came out as a drag queen or a non-binary person or like something that was even more far from center in terms of just like a cisgender gay man, I still wonder if they would be as accepting or mm -hmm. if they'd have so many of the same ideas that are sort of just rooted in ignorance or even rooted in hatred or bigotry, yeah. you know? Um, so I really, that's why I, I try and speak so much as I can with them about trans identity, non-binary identity, queer identity, like, so that they understand too, like, I'm, I'm, I'm that thing that you process and understand because it might be the closest in the sense, in, in a sense to your cisgender identity as a male, understanding another cisgender male, but you love something different versus a variation in self, like a, a sense that, you know, I... I'm expressing something that you don't understand whatsoever from the gender perspective and from an orientation perspective, you also have no connection to. And, and then you again say not okay things. Um, so it's like, they come a long way and then I hear things and they come a long way. And like, it's, it just feels like it's like an always battle, especially because our community is involving evolving in real time. And like that requires an intense level of, care and patience and love to, to grow with us in real time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I give you so many, pro I have to say like you as a role model to so many and also just like watching your story, which you've shared so publicly and so vulnerably, like even for me, like as, a, as another activist, like I've learned so much from you and I'm able to say like watching a friend go through this experience, like we have so much work to go, even within the queer community itself, yeah. to care about our trans family and like trans and non-binary and queer family. Like, and I just, I appreciate you and I applaud you and I love you deeply for everything oh. you do to make that work possible. Thank you, Aria. I really, I, that really means a lot to me coming from you. I mean, did you hear the bio I read? <laughs> but no, but, but seriously, I also, I really look, look up to you as an activist and someone who, um, really puts himself out there to talk about and be visible for other folks to know that there's possibility. Um, you know, thinking about you, you know, you didn't come out until you were 22. That's a long time to wait to, to assert who you are to the world. And um, I came out at 20, so not, not too wow. far behind that. And, yeah. um, and that was only just one part of my identity. I didn't come out as trans until I was 29. Cause I, well, right. cause partially I didn't really know, but also right, I think right. because I think I did know. And I think I was mm -hmm. scared. I think I was so deeply scared that it took right. me a very long time. And I, and I, what re was resonating with me is that I think that I had to like, prep myself and my family and my community and my friends to like bring them with me to this next yeah. this next part of my identity that I'm going to tell you about and I don't know that it was wow. conscious that I was doing it but as you were saying that I was like I think I was doing that I wow. think I was like very slowly educating everybody <laughs> to get for us yeah. to be as like pun intended a smooth transition for like for all for all <laughs> that involved <works> so well. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um and it reminds me, and I don't know if this is your ring of keys moment, but is, is having these conversations with Ryan, is that what you, what you would consider this like moment of visibility, um, seeing yourself in someone else, or do you have a different one? So I have a different one and it's an interesting one, especially given everything I just said. Um, and that's because I made assumptions at a certain age. So when I was younger, I mean, I still have this cousin now, um, <laughs> my cousin, Sean, was just like the coolest kid on the planet. Like Sean was so cool. Like Sean had cool friends, Sean had cool clothes, Sean had like just, he was just everything that like another kid would look at and say like, he's so cool. And I feel like I sensed 
something queer in him. I wouldn't have called it queer then, right? I just felt like there was something that made me feel like maybe I'm like him. And frankly, it made me want to be more like him. Mm. And today, Sean is out and gay and in a relationship and like an incredible designer and like sort of design consultant and has this gorgeous world of art and design and everything. And I still would say he's the coolest kid ever. But I feel like when you when you named the Ring of Keys moment or like sort of explain what Ring of Keys was for me, I was like, that's the first time I think I thought that like, maybe he's like me and mm. maybe I'll be like him. And like, it made me like to the degree dubs that I would, I, well, also because Aria wasn't an easy name to like use at restaurants or wherever else, like over the phone for, so I just, Sean became my name in other spaces. Mm. One syllable, everybody gets it, easy to spell, like, just it was like I don't even know that Sean knows that but so funny I should tell him like he was in some ways like a role model without ever having known it and again Mm. like without being a gay person per se or a queer person but just by virtue of his energy and and certainly by the way he did come out before me and so I did get to watch that um and that was another whole like opportunity to see role modeling because it was in my family and it was one of the first members of my family to come out or for me to see that and glean some again stirrings from the people around me of like how are you processing this what do you accept or not accept how do you tell this story um so I think it's Sean wow I love that how how did your family react to the different comings outs different comings outs yeah (laughs) I I know that's not how you say it but that's how I say it (laughs) (laughs) I like how you say it um, so as for my comings out, um, <laughs> I, I did. So from that moment when I told Ryan at 22, it was a seven year long journey until I told my parents at 29. And there was a lot of coming out to different people in the middle, including my brother and my sister, including some cousins, including some friends. Certainly the benefit of being outside of L.A. in those years of exploration was I was able to live a closeted, but you know, semi, semi-closeted queer life in Israel, for example, or Washington DC. But then when I moved, like when I would go to LA to visit, it was just like, whoop, you know, like put the bow on the closet, it's closed. And by the time I was coming out to my parents, again, my siblings knew, and you know, I actually went on like a little weekender trip with them and I sat with them and I explained like, I need to come out, you know, to our parents and I need your support. I need you to be there with me so that they hear that, like, you understand it, you accept it, you love me. And like, it'll help them lean in that direction. Um, And there are so many answers to the question of how did they take it? Because Mm -hmm. it happened in so many stages. Right. Mm -hmm. But what I can say on the front end is I when I came out, the immediate response was after some like, very long and gut-wrenching pause that was like the pause that I'll never forget for the rest of my life especially because to me the pause almost was like a like hello knocking did you just hear that I said the most like important thing to me in my life and Mm -hmm. when I'm just being stared at in that pause I was like are you not gonna like so so that pause happened as I came out and as a result, I was very deeply triggered, like, excuse me, like, this has been the hardest decision to make in my life, and I'm not hearing anything, so then I kind of lost it a little bit, and was Mm. like, like, did you hear what I just said, like, kind of, I don't like, not yelling, but actually also crying, and saying, like, I'm saying that I need you to take care of me the way that you do your own siblings, and your own family, and, like, everyone else that you nurture and take care of, I was really mostly speaking to my mom at this point, I was like, I need you in that way. And once she saw me cry, like she lunged across the blanket. We were at a picnic in a park um, and like, and held me and hugged me and we cried. And there was a lot of crying, a lot of cathartic release. Um, And then there was the immediate conversation of like, I'm going to need time, you know, like I'm going to need a lot of time and I need your help. And like, please, you know, and I said like flat out, I was like, I'm here to hold your hand. I'm here to be there for you. Like, I want, like, trust me, I have no, I'm not rushing to say this to everyone else yet. I want to make sure you feel okay. But there was a real pivotal moment just about a week later um, where 
the thing was I was living in DC and I came home to come out to them because I had the opportunity to either go back to DC and stay there because they took it badly or I was doing a test run to see whether I was going to move home to LA. So once mm. I came out and she kind of accepted it, you know, and was like, give me time. I was like, great, I'm going to move home so we can like do this together, you know? And she was really happy about that, of course, just like getting to have her son close to home again after about a decade of being far from home. And so a week later, um, we were sitting at sushi before I left to go back to DC. And I said to her, uh, mom, not tomorrow and not next week and not even next month, but with time, I want you to know that I'm basically going to shift the priority um, that I've given in my life to protecting you and dad from this information. I'll, I always never wanted to hurt you or bring shame to you or, you know, just in some way harm your existence in the world. And that meant that I prioritize you more than I ever prioritized myself. Mm. And I'm basically going to shift the priority back to myself. And my mom, you know, constantly basically was looking at me like, what are you really trying to say? Like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. and basically, I was like, I'm going to be really loud about this. Like, it's time for me to just like scream it from the top of a mountain. Anyone who will listen, I will tell them. And that's because like people are suffering in silence and without anyone to turn to. And God forbid, if anyone was to hurt or harm themselves, I would consider their blood to be on my hands because I would have been able to help but I sort of sat pretty in my own safety. And when I said that, like, she really, she was shook. And she did say, like, I love you. I get it. I'm in. But yes, please give me time before you go about doing that. <laughs> um, so we, we, we gave that time before that began. Wow. I, um, wow. I, yeah. I I am speechless. I I just because I'm so I love so deeply how you named this I have been prioritizing you my whole life. Yeah. And I don't know that I've ever like named that before with my mm. family and just like Yes, I was protecting you and protecting your quote unquote reputation. And whether you asked for it or not, I did it. And exactly, you know, I was care. I cared, right? Like yeah. To... Yeah. And I just, I love that you just were so intentional about naming. And now that priority is shifting and I'm focusing on me now. And I, though I've never, I don't know that I've ever like ex explicitly articulated that, I know for me, I absolutely have internally shifted and prioritized mm -hmm. myself. And I think, I think the most like extreme example of that that I can think of was a week or yeah. two before my top surgery and just mm -hmm. like feeling so spread thin and stressed out because I was trying to hold my family's hand and explain to them and educate them and be there for them. And I had my friend Dolce, who was the first person I came out to for all the things and is always wow. my person. She was like, you have to worry about yourself, like put yourself first. And, uh, and just like, it's a hard thing. It was hard for me because I had always put myself second. And when, yeah. when you make that shift to put yourself first, at least for me, I was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to put myself first because I've never done it before. Oh my goodness, I agree so <laughs> Yeah, and it's just, it was really scary, but I was like, you have to just like maybe read an article or do some research yeah. on like what, what this is because I can't keep doing it anymore. And it's like, and as, as my identity keeps shifting and there are different changes when I changed my name and I changed my pronouns and I'm on hormones now, there have been a, there have been a lot of moments where I want to handhold and I want to support because yeah. I understand that it is a big shift for everybody. And yeah. I, I keep having to remind myself to put myself first of like, but I'm the one actually living these things and the That's impacts it. of making those choices. I have to put myself first. And it's, it's yeah. weird. It's a really weird feeling. <laughs> I, I can just only deeply identify, especially from the perspective of where there is familial or friendly relationships where you consider yourself like responsible and like like mutually responsible right like we care for one another like in this 
friend or family unit and to center oneself before the other is almost like I feel like I was raised to believe that that's selfish or Mm -hmm. like that's wrong you know it's like you don't want to be that way you want to always nurture and be hospitable to the souls you care about around you first right that's the way to live kindly and generously maybe even righteously like it's the it's but but then again like in particular in any minority perspective like but certainly I can speak from the for my own as a queer person like that's not the way the world thinks about us. Like it's not right. like it's not how we get received by the world of like, well, here's another minority group. Let's ensure we take care of them before our own, like all the rights that we have, like on any given day. It's just I want to unhinge from any sort of thinking that makes me feel like self-care is selfish. Mm-hmm. It's like not okay. You know, yeah. and even just for like sustainability. I mean, we're both activists and our not to speak for you, but I know that we care enough to try and make a difference for the world so as to impact the lives of others. Mm-hmm. And self-care is required in the deepest way for mm-hmm. that to be sustainable in the long haul. And I've only, to be completely honest with you, Doves, like five years into work with JQ, it's only been about two years this November that I, that I will have really had any semblance of sustainable self-care. And mm-hmm. like, it's made my life so much better. Well, I would love to talk to you about that because (laughs) I am, I think, you know, especially with 2020, just being 2020, I, I have been finding myself really struggling with taking care of myself and showing up for the work, the really important work that I do care so deeply about. And another thing that you said that really resonated with me is like, I like just this idea of like shouting from the rooftops and being as out and as yourself as you can, because other people are suffering and struggling. And I was, I read an article that you said, um, quote, my life's mission is to help other people and to ensure they don't suffer the way I did. And Mm. I, that's like my life's mission. That is my theme. That is my, I just, that resonated so deeply with me. And it's like, Like, (laughs) yeah, I I, I know me too. And it's just like, I don't ever want anyone to feel the way that I felt because it it is just the worst feeling in the world to feel alone, to feel like you don't see yourself anywhere in your own community, in your religion, in your, you know, it's just, it's terribly lonely and isolating. And so I just, I, I just, I, um, I just appreciate so much how, how, how much you put yourself out there because I know that you are helping so many people see themselves reflected um, in, you know, in identities that they might not feel safe um, yeah. holding. And, you know, I know that, and I think you'll obviously speak way more eloquently about this than I ever can. And so I want to shift a little bit into of like the intersections yeah. of, being Persian and queer and Jewish and what that, what that feels like and how that can make it feel harder maybe for someone to come out. And, and the fact that you are, you are out and you are being this ring of keys for other people in this sense, you are like the manifestation of possibility for other people. Um, So I just, I would love to hear more about that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the, for the gorgeous, generous words. And like, I'd be remiss not to say ditto as it relates to your role and supporting other people just in the community to be able to come to their true selves also. Even including, if I'm being completely honest with you, like just different maybe conversation for a different day, but just Mm -hmm. my own thoughts on my own gender, I think have been impacted by your journey, by watching your journey. And I would love Mm -hmm. to like pull that apart with you some other day. Yes, Um, anytime. (laughs) Anytime, yeah. I, um... So, okay, so being a Persian Jewish queer person, it's interesting, I'll start like piecemeal because when I think about sort of what what is my core identity, it's actually being a Persian Jew. It's not being a Persian person separately and it's not being a Jewish person separately, it's being, or Iranian Jew, which is synonymous for anyone who's listening. Um, My parents were born and raised in Iran and uh, under the Shah who was the monarch at the time that they were, you know, in their early adulthood, Jews were living a quite comfortable existence. And in 1979, uh, and the Islamic Revolution happened, and really the fundamentalist radical regime that's in place in Iran today 
um, is the one, are the ones that overthrew the Shah, which made it very unsafe for anyone that was essentially non-Muslim. That meant Baha'is, Christians, Jews, and that forced my family to flee. And they were actually smuggled out of Iran through the mountains of Pakistan and to like six other countries over four months to eventually get to LA as refugees. And that colors every part of my life. And, and the reason why I say that is, is first and foremost, because as a refugee, I recognize that you come to this new place, essentially by like, not, I mean, you escaped to, you know, to, to escape hardship, right? And you come to whatever new place you are. And I think for many refugees or immigrants for that matter, the idea is preserve as much of the life that you had, that you were forced to leave behind as possible. So I'm not speaking on behalf of all Iranians, God forbid, and certainly not all Iranians in Los Angeles, but I'll speak for my family, for example, and what I see is we have this beautiful tradition of like micro, like building as much micro community around us as possible. Like I am a Persian Jew that grew up around so many Persian Jews that I thought like Persian Jews were everywhere and we're just like a normal part of like existence all over the world. Um, mm-hmm. It only took like getting to San Diego for somebody to be like, how can you be Persian and Jewish? Like mm. what, like why? Uh, I mean, how, right? And I'm like, one is a race, one is a faith, you know, some kind of, um, but uh, it, it affects so much of my queerness because the cultural conversation on this subject, and even for that matter, the religious conversation on this subject when I was much younger, was in a much different place than we're at in 2020. And all messaging was essentially um, especially because I grew up in a more conservative household and community, um, it's not acceptable. And not even just that it's not acceptable, it's just like not talked about. Like this is like not a part of our lives. Like we don't talk about this because it doesn't touch us almost. Was like the sort of, I, I would say some somewhat of the, the narrative I heard around me. Um, and that so colors how I, how I behave and act in the world. And I guess just, um, I know it's like such a large question. I'm trying to like reflect on parts of it that really make the most difference. I think another thing is what I opened with at the beginning in terms of coming out is just like in, in a collectivist society where your behaviors then reflect on your entire family unit and even your extended family unit, where, you know, where I grew up in a reputation-based society, it constantly had me thinking but if I come out or if someone finds out, then how does it impact the whole family unit? What happens to all of us? And like, frankly, my parents came from a country where people, and unfortunately to this day, are being imprisoned for the crime of homosexuality. Like, and, and, and it's interesting because later in my activism, I can't say at the way beginning, but a couple of years into my activism, I began this practice, and I do not say this with the suggestion that anyone else should do this. This just works for me, that I do hear homophobia from people in my own community and my culture. And initially my reaction was like, let's go to, let's go to bat, come on. Like you tell me and I'll tell you and we'll, you know. But now I have this reaction to a person who shares like some deep held homophobia, which is like, huh. Like, where did you, how did you come to believe that? Where did you receive that information? And without antagonism, like not a sort of sly way of saying, hey, you dumbass, like where, where does that silly thought come from? Rather like mm-hmm. a, that's actually very interesting. Like, when did you internalize that? And why from your heart of hearts, why do you still believe it? You know, like what makes you believe it? And it's helped me actually have these incredible impactful conversations with Orthodox Jews, some of the most conservative our community, or just very conservative Iranians um, that help them feel like, okay, you don't have to have all the answers whatsoever, but can I get you at a human level to understand that queerness is an organic part of the human experience that has existed since the dawn of man in every nook and cranny of the planet, and you cannot deny the fact that this is an organic part of the human experience. And if you do believe in any semblance of a spark of the divine or, you know, being created in some image of divinity or just like equality, like people are born into the world and should be treated equally and have some equal um, capacity to live a life of meaning, like 
and you can't tell me that like this person's expression of self is sinful and wrong, God forbid, worthy of reprimand. Um, if that's what you're saying, you believe like, so I don't know. I, I just, I sort of went around about with that question, just in terms of how I approach the, co- the conversation with my community, but mm-hmm. um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a lot at all times. <laughs> to say yeah. The least. Yeah. Um, I think it's really, um, you are, you are where I want to be when it comes to having these conversations. Cause I think I still am like, okay, let's do this. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to defend my honor. And lately I have been having the same, very similar thoughts of, you know, trying to give folks like gen- like a generous assumption of like, where did you, where are you even come? You know, like what you said, like, what? when did yeah. you internalize that? Like, why do you still believe that? And human to human, like, how can you say that, you know, or whatever it is. And that is something that I am, I am really working on. Um, I just finished the book, um, Rising Strong by Brene Brown. Mm. And there's a story in it, um, where, or like a, a, a section about like making generous assumptions about people and, even the people who, who bug the shit out of you or whatever is saying like really terrible things to you. Right. If you approach them with the thought of what if they are truly just doing the best they can with what they have, if they are really showing up with the best of, of everything that they can offer, how would, how you interact with them shift? Wow. And it's, I really am trying to internalize that. And um, it is really challenging because <laughs> people it's bug like, the shit yeah. out of me. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. Like, that's why I'm like, I don't want to suggest this to anyone. I'm yeah. Just speaking to like, sometimes it's almost more peaceful because it's it's almost like, is it going to become ideological warfare, or am I going to potentially give you one morsel of a thought that you'll still think about when your head hits the pillow tonight? Like, I can't bombard you with everything, nor is that really helpful to this conversation of like, I am homophobic. Like, I am phobic of queerness. And I am like an LGBT activist wanting you to move in my direction. It's, it's almost this question of like, where, what's the starter pack of mm-hmm. ideas or questions or just musings that will get you at minimum from a place of antagonism and hatred to curiosity and like some semblance of openness. Um, and it's so much harder said than done. And mm. trust me, I have my breaking points and I'm not trying to sit here and say I'm peaceful with everyone and the conversation <laughs> Yeah, because all of us are fighting for our lives in a very literal sense in this yeah. current moment. Mm-hmm. And like, it's no longer, I mean, and I get when people say like, I don't have the time to be patient. I'm like yeah. fighting for my right to exist. Like, yeah. So there's so much room for that too. And we have to hold that too. Absolutely. I, I definitely have been feeling that lately to have like I just I don't have any patience anymore like we got it we got to get here and we got to keep going because you know we've been holding your hand long enough and been patient long enough and now right now we got to get we got to get going um so yeah I really feel that um I was reading um something else that it was either written about you or something and just this you you said that you are deeply driven by human connection and I think that Mm. um I also relate to that very deeply. I love connecting with, with people. Um, but I think that that, that value is really just apparent in everything you say and, and it shows up in the work that you do. And I just am am really deeply appreciative of that. Thank you so much. Yeah. I know also just our relationship has like been a nice example of that. Just two people from two different universes, but that so clearly care and are driven by, some set of parallel values and like that's been a really beautiful opportunity to get to this point because i i certainly wouldn't have i don't know for you dubs like also did you ever imagine you'd be like a queer organizer activist you know public speaker just like known in some ways globally like for your body of work i I couldn't have dreamt it if my life depended on it you know it's like crazy yeah, it really is. No, I never, I never would have imagined. I kind of, I have this like narrative that sometimes I share of like, if you would have told 12, 12 year old dubs that they'd be like an out trans person, you know, speaking on, you know, they would have like either like smacked you and ran away. Cause that would have been so scary or like just stood there in disbelief of like, what is this? It is no, I, in a million years, I, sometimes I still am like, is this real? I'll wake up and I'll be like, is this real? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Time. Like it's not less 
insane sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is beautiful too, to feel the gratitude of like, like the responsibility of our work is so great that like sometimes being re-inspired, but like, but whoa, I never could have imagined this very moment in a million years. So let's get everyone, like, let's help as many other people as possible to get to that point of like looking back and saying, I, I really genuinely in my heart of hearts believed it was impossible, but here I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what a, what an opportunity, what a gift to even be in our work to help others, God willing, be able to say that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, for me, at least that's like the best part of my work yeah. is to okay. create that sense of possibility and that sense of what you thought was impossible. Actually it's possible. Um, yeah. It's really, um, it's really great. Um, Amen. I, I don't want to do this, but I, I need to move us into our last segment, um, which is a, like a, a rapid fire question. So, um, cool. just, it's just for fun and games. There's no right or wrong answers <laughs> except one okay. and you'll, you'll know, but it's, again, it's just a joke. It's just jokes. Um, so just whatever comes to mind first, um, okay. pencil or pen, pen, acting or singing, acting. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Beach or mountains? Oh, beach. (laughs) (laughs) Meat or veggies? Also, ouch. Um, Yeah. Veggies? Okay. Uh, Bagels or donuts? Oh, my God, donuts. (gasps) Mm, The right answer? I know, I feel like that was the one. But I, Remember, Ms. Rafi <laughs> Sephardi Jew, Ashkenazi Jew. And that's like, there it. is a difference there. Yeah, that's very true. Um, so we can still funny. be friends. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, train or plane? Plane. Sweet or salty? Oh, please give me the intersection of those two things forever. <laughs> okay, deal. Uh, Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Night or day? Oof. Oof. Sunset. Um, night. That, you can do sunset. Yeah, I had, sunset is like, that's my time. I had someone say uh, after this, wow, these are really binary. What if I, and I'm oh like, my God, oh so my real. gosh. But totally. So uh, yeah. if you want sunset, you can have sunset. Love, love. <laughs> um, and the last one is favorite kitchen item. Favorite kitchen item is a whisk. Nice. I love those. I love evening out. I'm so like, I just love evening out a batter. Yeah. I don't bake, but I can imagine. <laughs> Not that I do that much often. Like I've, I see it three times a year. Yeah. But the three times I make a Betty Crocker 99 cent brownie mix, I use a whisk and it's very enjoyable. I love that. Um, Aria, thank you so much for spending some time with me. This was a really, really special conversation. Pleasure and an honor, Dubs. Thank you so much again for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. Hey, it's Dubs Weinblatt, your host of Thank You For Coming Out. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. Please subscribe to our podcast on the platform of your choice. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps.